All right, good morning, everybody. How are you all? Good, good. I'm really, really thankful to be here with you all today. We're going to be in Matthew 6, continuing our sermon series. If you want to turn there, you can now be in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And I also just want to add my voice to Scott's. I'm also really excited about uh, this Covenant Celebration Day, uh, just what that represents in the life of our church over these this last year as we've begun to realize that Redemption Church is a very different church than it was years ago. We have a lot of new faces, a lot of people who have come or left our church. We have a very new church family. And as me and Scott just spent time thinking about the realities of being a covenant family, we realized we need to rewrite our church covenant because we now as a church are thinking and operating very differently than we were when our previous covenant was written. So if you remember back in September, we spent three weeks teaching on our covenant and then calling people to respond if they desire to be a covenant partner with us. And so you guys have probably heard us talk a lot about our partnership process, that starting with 6-6, stick 6, going all the way down to signing the covenant. So that's what today represents, kind of the culmination of that, and that we're now celebrating what God has done in bringing us together as a covenant family. So I'm really excited about that. If you don't know where you're at in that partnership process, like do I need to do an interview next, or do I need to take a foundations class next, please come talk to us. We want to try to always be talking about that. But today is literally just going to be a fun celebration party. So, again, it's an exciting day for us. Please plan to stick around. All right, so we are in the Sermon on the Mount, this really awesome section of Matthew. Last week, Scott uh, addressed how Jesus is talking about money and possessions, the areas where we most often find our comfort and our security. We see that Jesus is calling us more and more to realize, here's what life in my kingdom looks like in our passage today which is truly just a continuation of what we addressed last week there's probably a little divider in your bible or a break between the verses but this is just a continuation of what scott was already talking about so today though we come to a very popular passage that talks about worry talks about look at the birds your father cares for the birds look at the lilies of the field not even solomon was arrayed like them, and your father cares for them too. So doesn't he care for you? You've probably heard that passage preached on before, right? Most of us, if you've grown up in the church, you at least know a little bit about that passage, or maybe even if you're newer, or you're newer to the church or to Jesus, you maybe have at least heard that referenced before. But before we dive in, I want to just ask you a question that might seem obvious, but think about this. Who's Jesus talking to in this passage? Who is Jesus addressing in this passage. At the outset, it would be, oh, well, he's talking to the worriers, right? He's talking to the anxious people. You know, we all know who those people are. People who get fearful, the people who worry about the details, the people who are wondering about the bank account all the time or any given thing. And I personally am in that list, being one prone to be anxious, prone to be a worrier. And so right now, you're probably thinking, okay, well, I'm either in that camp or I'm not in that camp. Maybe, maybe if you think I'm not in that camp, maybe you're thinking, okay, I get a week off today. I'm not going to get nailed in this sermon. But this morning, I want to ask us to think about this passage in a different light. Are you someone who gets angry? Are you someone who gets upset and just thinks people around you are stupid or incompetent? Are you someone who, when things don't go your way, you get depressed? You see, we often think that the worriers and the anxious are people who are just fretting and overanalyzing or who seem to panic when things aren't in their control. But friends, just because someone 
might worry in a different way doesn't mean that they're trusting God. Just because you might not be a worrier per se doesn't mean, oh, well, see, I have stronger faith than all of those worriers. No. I would challenge you to think that your anger or your frustration or your depression is most likely stemming from worry. And that you might actually just express your worry in a different way. It might come out through rage or through impatience or through blaming people. So what I want us to see is at the beginning, who's Jesus addressing in this passage on worry? He's addressing all of us. All of us. But second of all, what we have to realize at the outset, that yes, Jesus is addressing all of us, but also we live in a very unique time in history. So we need to hear this passage in light of where we are in history. We are in an age, a unique time in history, where we are regularly being informed and told, here's what you need to worry about. And then here's how you escape that worry. In our, quote, informational advanced age that we live in, we now just think it's just better to know everything all of the time because then I can make all of the right decisions because I now know everything. Which means then you have nothing to be worried about. In our day and age, we are daily fed. Emphasis on the word fed. We are fed things to be anxious about. We are literally told, here's everything bad and here's what you should be freaking about. This is also known as watching the news. Here is everything going on, geopolitical issues that don't even relate to you, everything going on in the economy, everything going on with current trends in culture, health. And here's now what, all these things that you need to process, evaluate, and you better make sure you're making the right decisions. We're also daily told, here are all the ways your life sucks. Here are all the people that are doing so much better than you. This is also known as social media. In our day and age, we are addicted to regularly being formed about what we should be worried about, what we should be aware of, what we need to be changing. Are you aware of that? But what's interesting is today, Jesus also wants to feed us. He wants to feed us in a different way and with a different type of bread. Jesus here in this passage wants to enter our worried, depressed, filled world and like Moses with the Israelites, he wants to lead us through the desert. Jesus today wants to lead us through our desert of worry. So I'm going to ask Krista to come up and read this passage for us. This is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let's listen as the word is read. Therefore, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, as your family, as those, as those who have walked with you for various lengths of time, Jesus, we ask that we would hear you speak to us. Jesus, I ask that you would guard and steward all the words coming out of my mouth that your people today would be fed by you. Jesus, we want to be people who regularly are learning how to cast off our worry and to grow in real trust and dependence on you, Jesus. Because we know in our heads that you're faithful, but we often struggle in our souls to grab hold of that. So we ask for your help today for the advancement of Jesus' name and kingdom. Amen. So often, we approach this passage, or even passages like this, or maybe even the scriptures in general, as if it's a doctor's prescription. If you're a worrier, go to this passage. If you're an angry person, go to this passage. If you're struggling with X, Y, and Z, go to this passage. We often think of the scriptures as if like, it's just a doctor's script, something that gets written and given to us and go here. But I think in light of what we've been seeing about the Sermon on the Mount and in light of even growing in how we understand the scriptures, we need to see not just a specific call to not worry because that is what Jesus is talking about. But let's zoom out. What is Jesus showing us here in the Sermon on the Mount? He is showing us, when you're living in allegiance to me, this is what life will look like. It's not just a quick little prescription. So what I want us to do today is kind of a unique approach, at least for me, of how to figure out how to teach this. Instead of just walking verse by verse through the whole thing, which we are going to look at the verses, I want us to think about this passage as if we're like a movie director with three different camera angles going on. I want us to approach this passage in general and look at one angle and then a different angle to understand and then another angle going on. I was telling Garrett as uh, we were getting ready this morning that I was hanging out with him and some guys who were like media, film junkies and they were talking about movies and maybe that's why I thought about this. So what I want us to do is just think about here's one perspective to see what Jesus is saying. Here's another perspective by which we can see what Jesus is saying, not differing but different ways to understand what he is saying here. So this first angle that I want us to think about this passage from is the angle that what Jesus is talking about is allegiance to the Father. Angle number one, allegiance to the Father. If you're looking at this passage in light of the broader context going on, you realize that Jesus isn't coming and he's not preaching evangelical American Christianity. He's not coming and you will not see Jesus say, you just need to repent and be saved and then you're going to be whisked away to heaven and just make sure you don't sin too much along the way. You're not going to see Jesus saying that. You will hear that in a lot of American evangelical churches. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, when you realize I'm king, 
and that I am reclaiming all of creation, including you, you will now know what it looks like to walk in the kingdom. Who you're supposed to be in light of the kingdom. And what your allegiances will look like in the kingdom. Jesus is showing us that no part of our life is off limits. Whether it's our possessions, our livelihood, our money, our sexuality, our bodies, the things that we do in life, all of it now is being reclaimed in his kingdom. So, what is Jesus' big point here? When you live in allegiance to me, you will trust in God for your needs. When you live in allegiance to me, you will trust in God for your needs. This is why he says, seek first the kingdom. Make the kingdom of God your primary commitment, and everything else will flow out of that. And the reason we know that this is true is because this is exactly what Scott was preaching about last week in our section, about we are to be in allegiance to God versus allegiance to money versus allegiance to possessions. And so now Jesus is saying, what does allegiance look like when you have lack? That's the section we're in right now. Jesus is telling us that the reason we often are so worried, we're so preoccupied about the basic things in life is because we have split allegiance. Jesus says, these are the things the Gentiles are consumed with, meaning those who aren't in the kingdom, they obsess over these things. See, for many of us, we want to follow God, but we also want to have it our way too. What I want you to realize is that this passage is less about chastising people for not having enough faith, but this passage is actually asking us, where in my life do I have divided allegiance? Because divided allegiance leads to worry. Divided allegiance will lead you to worry. Look in verse 25. Jesus commands us to not be anxious, to not be overly concerned to not be those who are consumed with physical things. Why, though? Because the Father cares. Because He cares for you. But we often think that anxiety and worry means we just don't have enough faith. But what I think Jesus is actually showing us, it's not just that you need more faith. It's actually that your worry and anxiety is revealing what your true faith is actually in. Is it possible that the things in your life that make you worried or anxious or angry or depressed are actually just showing you this is what your real allegiance is. And it's failing you, which is why you're anxious, which is why you're worried. You see, anxiety is a divided interest, a separated and distracted orientation. And actually, the word Jesus uses here implies that, that you're trying to look at two things at once. It's like having double vision where you're trying to focus on this and focusing on this and you're doing nothing though. Worry happens when we want to follow and trust God, but we also want something else at the same time. Jesus, as you know, has been talking about treasures in the previous section, asking us, what do you most value? What do you love most? What do you hold closer than anything? And now he's saying, when you worry, it's revealing to you what your treasure is. Whatever it is you worry about most, that is showing you where your true good lies. 
So you can even just pause right now and say, Spirit, what are you showing me? Right now in the middle of a sermon, Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you revealing to me that maybe where do I have divided allegiance? For some of us here, maybe you don't even know if you have allegiance to Jesus. Maybe you think of Jesus as just the big man upstairs and, you know, he helps me when I need him. And, you know, we kind of have a... I've heard so many people say, you know, me and, me and God got an agreement. Oh, okay, cool. Tell me about this agreement. You know, whenever I'm in a hard spot, he helps me out. You know, I don't do nothing too bad. God's over here. He helps me out. That's not allegiance. That's a divine butler in the sky who you call on to help when you need him. Allegiance to Jesus means that you have given your life over to him. That you have recognized that you are a sinner. That you are rebellious. And a good king is calling you back to be his own. For some of us, Maybe we don't really know what it means to have allegiance to Jesus, but some of us, maybe we have given our life over to Jesus, but we still have divided allegiance. I think for some of us here, you need to ask, am I in allegiance to Jesus, or am I just dating Jesus? You know, flirting with him like boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, I'm not walking out on him, I'm kind of hanging out, but not committing. We're just hanging out, like when it's convenient, you know, when it's convenient for me and Jesus, like, I'm here, I'm good. When 10 a.m. is not too early on a Sunday, I'll be here. Are you dating Jesus? And I would ask you, are you just dating his people as well? You see, our allegiance to Jesus is seen when we see where our allegiance to his people is. The book of John tells us, you know if you love God, if you love his people. You know you love Jesus if you're in love with his people. For some of us, I think that maybe we do have a divided allegiance where Jesus, we're just kind of flirting with him. When it's easy, when it's convenient, when it works, when it's not asking me too much out of my comfort zone. So do you have divided allegiance? What things cause you worry? What things do you get so anxious about you feel you can't even function? What's that showing you about your allegiance? Let's listen to our friend, Sinclair Ferguson. Have you ever noticed what happens when you become anxious about something? It begins to dominate or rule your thinking. And you see everything in light of your anxiety. Which, what is that? Just pause right now, stop reading. That means a new king has arisen. You now see everything in light of this anxiety because there is a new king. It seems to you that everything depends now on resolving your anxiety. And indeed to you, everything in your life now seems related to it. You get caught in a vicious cycle. When your anxiety is about what you eat or drink or the clothes you wear, it is not long before your whole life and your happiness seems to depend on these things. We've all experienced this. These basic servants become your masters. This is hitting allegiance. When Jesus has given us gifts that we become more loyal to than him, we depend on those things for our happiness. Do you see that Jesus here isn't just beating up the warriors? No, he's calling all of us to say, where's your allegiance? Or... 
you already know, here's what I'm worried about, what is that revealing to you about what your allegiance is already in? Are you someone who gets nervous or uncontrollable or in a frantic about your health or your body or what could be going on that you don't know about? What's your allegiance? Is God not in charge of your body? Is he not in charge of the body, this temple that he's given you? Are you someone who loses it? I'm just going to raise my hand right here. When your life, your calendar, and your schedule isn't lining up with your carefully well-crafted plans. What's Nate's true allegiance in? What areas in your life right now are you already aware? Yeah, I need to submit this to God. What areas in your life is he actually revealing to you even right now? Yeah, I think I'm God here. And that's why I lose it when it doesn't go my way. Friends, if you are in Jesus, the amazing thing is that we can discuss this and not be condemned. We can discuss this and hear these hard, piercing questions and not be condemned because Jesus is not going to send out those who are his. But he wants to ask us where our allegiance is. Right now, we can say, God, thank you for showing me my heart. Thank you that your grace isn't revealing things to me that, to then chastise me and send me out. But you're continually showing me, Nate, friend, where do you need to repent and believe again that you have a good king over every area of your life? Alongside this angle of this call to Allegiance. Let's notice what else Jesus is saying in this passage, though. How does he tell us to deal with our worry and anxiety? Are we just supposed to just stop it when our worry flares up? Just stop being worried. Okay, for all the worries out there, how many times have you been told that? Just stop being worried. For the rest of you, it's so not helpful. Does Jesus tell us to just ignore it? Does he tell us to just turn a blind eye? Does he say, just stop it? Does he say, ignore your needs and just blindly trust God? Nope. In verse 25, he tells us to not be anxious, but then what is the first word in verse 26? Look. Look. Angle number two. Open your eyes and be present. The way Jesus shows us to fight our worry is to look. We live in an age where we are told that you need to just escape your worries. You need to add in meditation that will help you forget. You need to do things that will, whether it's taking medication or whatever, things that will get stuff out of your mind. That's what we need to do, right? I mean, don't hear me bashing quiet or meditation or medication. I'm not bashing that. But we live in a world where I believe there's almost a satanic influence at work telling us that the goal is to just empty your brain. Empty your brain of all the things that are worrying you. What does Jesus say? No. He says, look. He says, notice. He says, observe. What the world tells us to empty your mind, and Jesus tells us, fill your mind. Fill your mind with what you see around you. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the raw power and complexity of the universe and realize he cares that much about those things 
But you don't know that if you don't look at them. If you don't understand the complexity of them. Look. Notice. Birds are taken care of. Flowers that are more radiant. Nature scenes that are more radiant than the most complex things that humans can build. Jesus says, look and see what kind of a father you have. He is this good to these parts of creation. Is he not going to be good to you as well? Our world tells us to empty, and Jesus says to fill your mind. And I believe that Jesus isn't just saying this for the sake of the worriers. Jesus is actually showing us the type of life we're to live. We are to be people who are present. People who are in the moment. People who, because we are free of worry, can actually live a life where we can observe and we can notice and we can think about other people. Can the warriors do that? No way. They got, they got to figure it all out. Jesus says that we are to live a life where we can observe and take stock of what we see the Father doing all around us. Because as you sit in that kind of wonder and fill your mind with that, you will be changed. You will be changed. Let me just ask you, have you ever just stopped and watched a bird? I mean, literally just stopped what you were doing and watched a bird. Have you ever just looked up and down the length of a tree to just see how massive it is? You know who did that a lot? Jesus. Do you think that he just randomly was like, oh yeah, look at the birds, yeah. There's a bird right there. No. Jesus lived a life where he was regularly engaged with what the Father had done in creation and he was now noticing and observing and saying, have you ever seen what the farmer does? Have you ever seen what the tax collector does? Have you ever seen what the bird does? Jesus lived a life in this way where because he was resting in the Father, he could live a life where he could be present, where he could be fully engaged with others. A couple weeks ago, I was on this awesome family trip with Jana's family, and we went up in the mountains, and we took a walking tour through the Luray Caverns. Has anyone been there? It's amazing. It's unbelievable. I think there's a picture. Jana was nice enough to let me put up a picture. Just so you know, that picture on the left, it's the mirror lake. The, the, the bottom part is not actually the cave. That's water that's literally perfectly reflecting the ceiling. Isn't that amazing? It looks like Lord of the Rings. Anyway, you have to walk down this path. You walk into this cave, and for two hours, you're literally underground. You can't run through it. Got, there's some wet spots. You've got to be careful. There's other people. For two hours, just walking through. So you can go to the next picture. I would totally encourage you to go. Everybody should go. Parents, it's a great thing to take kids to. But in this one section of the cave, you can see the picture on the right. I don't know how much you can notice because it's dark. But there was a massive section of the uh, stalactites hanging from the ceiling that had broken off. Not when we were there. But it had broken off and it was laying on its side. And based on really smart scientists and geologists who can study how these things move and expand with the water and the minerals. They estimate it fell. You can see it kind of right there, that piece laying on its side. They estimate that thing fell like 6,000 years ago. People have known about this thing for like 200 years. 
for thousands of years, there has been this expansive cave that no one knew was there, and God was delighting in it. This six-ton chunk of rock fell on its side. It's just been laying there in the darkness. No one knew it was there, and God knew it was there. God was in control of this massive cave that was building and forming as little bits of water were trickling down. And then 200 years ago, we discover it. And we're amazed at it. I was walking through this cavern and literally thought, God knows about this stuff. He sees this massive chunk of rock. He knew exactly when it fell. He knew when it was going to fall. He knew how it was going to fall. And here am I now. And God cares for me? Do you really care about me, God? I literally was able to think, because first off, can't rush, so I had to go slow. And then you just had to be present. And as I realized that, God met me. And I knew, wow, you care about that huge chunk of rock? You really do care about me. It was in that moment, as I was forced to go slow, where I was met with the presence and love of God, way underground in a cave was because my brain couldn't be anywhere else. I was forced to be there. This is where, as we learn to be present and to look and see, versus trying to run from our worries, it is here that we can do what Paul tells us later in Romans 12, where your mind can be renewed. Your mind will become transformed as you behold the goodness of God all around you. The call is not to escape worry. The call is to be present and to look and to see that God wants to transform your mind. Because people who are fully present, people who are fully alive, people who are able to enjoy the big and small things are people who know what it looks like to seek the kingdom. Whether it's helping your kid get a drink, whether it's sharing life with your neighbor, whether it's being honest and open about your own weakness and sin struggles, people who can do that know what it looks like to seek the kingdom. But you know who can't do that? Those who are worried. Because when you're worried, you can't live in the moment. You've got to be 10 days ahead. Or you're 10 minutes behind worrying about everything that already happened. When you live in the kingdom in that kind of a way, when things don't go according to your plan, you can say, well, I know the Father has a plan. Look, look all around. He obviously is working. So we've looked at these two these two different camera angles, this call to see worry is divided allegiance, so we're called into allegiance to Jesus. We've looked at how do, we, how do we fight our worry? What does Jesus tell us? He says, look, be present, observe. And now I want us to see the third angle, final angle, by which to understand this passage is that we are to be increasingly convinced of the sovereignty of God over all things. In this passage, Jesus calls us to be increasingly convinced of the sovereignty of God over all things. You see, at the end of the day, this passage is asking you and asking me, what kind of a God do you have? Do you have a puny and pathetic God? Who, sure, he saved you from Satan, sin, and death, but he definitely can't save you from that hard conversation. You have a God who is strong enough to rescue you and bring you into his family, but is he strong enough to help you know what to do with your body and how to live when things aren't going according to plan with your life or your schedule or your health? What kind of a God do we have? Jesus here is showing us. 
We have a God who doesn't miss the little things. We have a sovereign king who doesn't miss the little stuff. Jesus is showing us that we have a father who is sovereign over all things. If you don't know what sovereign means, think about a king over a country. He's sovereign over that country. He's not truly sovereign because he can't oversee every single thing. But kings over countries are called, they're the sovereign. They have rule and authority and control over everything they want. That's what sovereignty is. Sovereignty, the sovereignty of God means that God is in power and in authority over all of creation. And thus Jesus is showing us that the foundation for fighting worry is increasingly being convinced that God is sovereign over all things. The foundation for fighting worry is increasingly being convinced that God is sovereign over all things. And if you think about this, where do we most fully see that God is sovereign? In the very life of the one telling us to trust in the Father. Think about this. Jesus is pointing us to the Father who will provide our clothes, who will provide our drink, who will provide our food. Jesus is pointing us to that. And where is Jesus going already in the book of Matthew? He's already going to the cross. He already is beginning to prepare to go to Jerusalem where he will be stripped of his clothes. He will not be given a drink. And was he still knowing that the Father was going to be faithful? He was. The very one telling us that we can trust in the goodness of the Father was himself going to walk into the storm and be convinced that the Father was going to be faithful to him. Jesus himself, who tells us, don't worry about your clothes, was literally stripped naked of all of his clothing and still knew the Father would be faithful. When we realize the very one telling us that the Father is faithful would himself walk down the road where faithfulness would be tested most truly. It is here that we most clearly see, oh, well, God's taken care of me in the past, so he's got to help me this time. No. The past will always fail you because you might see things where you don't know how God's faithfulness is going to work out. We don't look to the past. We look to Jesus. And there we see, wow, not only is he faithful, he's sovereign. Because look at the life of Jesus. Out of death and humiliation comes resurrection and glory. Jesus himself was resolutely committed to know the Father was faithful. Think about it. Because he knew we wouldn't be resolutely committed. He was faithful on our behalf. He perfectly believed the Father because he knew we'd worry about food and drink and all these other things. So not only did he do that to show us the Father's faithful, he did it on our behalf. The life of Jesus himself is where we truly see, wow, he really is sovereign over all things. Even in death, the one who told us trust the Father showed us what that looked like. So for us, as we seek to grow in being a people who know the absolute sovereignty of God, we can be people who will know he provided for Jesus. He's absolutely committed to provide for me as well. The sovereignty of God is something that you can literally hold on to in the darkest nights. Our friend Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in England a while ago, said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God 
is the pillow upon which you lay your head. You can bank on the sovereignty of God. When life is uncertain and the worries are all around you, you can with confidence say, I do not know everything that is going on. I do not understand half of what God is doing right now. But by golly, I know. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful. And I can hold on to that. Nothing can touch your life apart from his sovereignty. So you, with chaos all around you, can put your head on your pillow at night. My God is sovereign. He's sovereign over me. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over redemption. He's sovereign over Hampton Roads. He's sovereign over every little thing that you lose your head over all the time. He's sovereign. The sovereignty of God is something that you can take, like I said, and you can hold on to it. And you can allow the implications of that to just run. Whoa, what would it look like if I really believed God was sovereign over my kids? What would my life look like if I knew these things I'm scared about in the future, God is sovereign over those things. And not only will he meet me in those things, he will see me through those things. What would that look like? God's sovereign over your job. He's sovereign over maybe your dwindling bank account. He's sovereign over bad decisions that maybe you made and now you're paying the consequence for. Is he not sovereign over that? You see, friends, often we settle for a puny, pathetic view of God. Which is why we're worried. Because we have settled for a shallow God. Instead of seeing our God is the sovereign God over all. Think about that. Not even our God in the general sense, the communal sense, but your God over your life is sovereign. Let's look at some closing thoughts and questions for us to consider. How do we grow in this? How do we grow in increasingly learning to fight our worry and despair? I would encourage you to do the following. I would challenge you towards, first off, intentional meditation on the goodness of God. Intentional meditation on the goodness of God. Learn to combat and fight your worry and your anxiety by carving out space to remember. Carve out space to remember. Cut out a chunk of time, whether it's five minutes, whether it's an hour, whatever you need to sit and meditate and read and know about the goodness of God, about his faithfulness, about his sovereignty over all things. And I promise you, you might need to eliminate some things in your life to make this happen, but you are not too busy. If you would like resources and recommendations on what that looks like, how do I meditate on the sovereignty of God, please come grab me afterwards. I would love to talk with you about how to do that. Again, this is not meditation for the sake of emptying our mind. This is filling our mind with the realities of our God. Let your practice of remembrance lead you to develop a more robust faith. Think about this. When you work out in the gym or you work on a skill, maybe a, an instrument, you're developing muscle memory. Your muscles are learning how to be broken down and then come back stronger. Your skills with your fingers, like with a violin or a piano, you're learning muscle memory when you practice. Your faith is the same way. Develop the muscle memory of faith, knowing crap hits the fan. Wait, he's going to be faithful here. He's going to be faithful. My reflex is to say, oh my gosh, let me freak out. Wait a minute. 
He's going to be faithful here. What does it look like now to trust him in that? But for some of us, we're just sitting around waiting for faith to grow. You're just sitting around waiting. Oh, well, faith will come one day. No. Carve out space to learn to develop those types of muscles of faith. Secondly, I would ask you to consider the question, is your anxiety and your worry leading you to ask for help? Or is it leading you into isolation? Remember we did that sermon series on the emotions several months ago? We talked about anger and fear. I'm drawing a blank on the other ones right now. We talked about all these different emotions. And I preached about anxiety. And anxiety is, comes when we need help. When we need to ask for help. I think some of us need to learn to ask for help. Maybe you are worried or anxious and you need to ask for help for something very specific. What kind of help do you imagine God could provide if you are willing to be humble and ask? Third, this is something in my own life that God has been showing me. For those of you with fear or worry, is it truly worry about the future? Or is it actually a fear of the past repeating itself? This is a question that goes down deep. We often think, oh, I'm worried about you know, the future. I'm worried about if I'm going to have enough money. Or I'm worried about if my relationships will work out. I'm worried about my kids. And sometimes we do just have future-oriented worry. But is it possible that something really bad or really scary happened in the past? And your life now is lived in almost a reflex to not let that happen again. Is it really worry about the future? Or is it fear of the past repeating itself? Would challenge you to think about that. Often our fears are grounded in shaking things in our past. And so now your gut reflux is to do everything possible to not let that happen again. Maybe it was a time when you felt so alone. Maybe it was a time when you felt so helpless. And by God, I will never be helpless again. Is that that what your worry is directed at? Would say, you, do you truly have like emotional honesty with yourself where you know, yeah, it's, it's fear of this thing. Would challenge you to do business with your past if you need to. For me personally, I have come to realize that so much of my personal worry, despair, anxiety masquerades as fear of, oh, I'll be talking to Jan, I'll be like, oh, babe, I'm just really worried about this thing happening. But really, no, there's some dark, dark seasons in my life in the past, and I'm worried about going back there. I'm worried that this thing I'm in now, this unknown circumstance, might take me back to that place. So it's really a fear of the past coming back for Nate. So God, in that, has been helping me recall and see the ways that he actually used that for my good. He actually used, and if you want to hear more about this, I would love to share with you. God used some of the darkest seasons of my life to lead me to really see and know Jesus better. That's what he did. That's what he's still doing now, is he's continuing to even redeem those dark, scary times. So for us, learning to distinguish what truly makes us worried is a key component of learning how to deal with your worry. Learning to not just do business with that, but then actually share about that. Allowing other people to speak into that about how you got wounded or hurt 
or scared, this is how the Spirit's going to help you grow, friends. Often Satan will use those things and cripple us. And we can't move. But as we begin to share that with people, all those strongholds of Satan start to get broken down. So, let's close now. Let's close. I'm going to take a deep breath. That was a lot. That was a lot. Sorry if I went a little long. But as we close, imagine this with me. Let's, let's put on our spiritual imagination that the resurrected King Jesus has given us. Imagine with me a group of people who are free from the preoccupations of worry. Imagine a group of people whose number one concern was not just worrying about the physical stuff of life. Imagine a group of people that out of that, they were free to give away their money. They were free to give away their precious time. They were free to give away their talents and their resources. What would that look like? Imagine that. Imagine a group of people who lived like this, knowing that because our God will provide, we can take radical risks for the kingdom. Because we know Jesus has my back, I can take a risk. I can take a step. He's sovereign. He's going to meet me. Because if I blow it, he's going to still meet me. Think about it. Imagine what that would look like if we as Redemption Church continually become that kind of people. What would happen? What would our church be like? What kind of people would be attracted to what they see here? Not in us, but because of the confidence we have in our sovereign God. For some of us, maybe you don't really know what it means to have allegiance in Jesus. Maybe you're questioning that. I'd love to talk with you and share more about that with you. Maybe you grew up in the church, or maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you are asking questions now about what does it mean to have that kind of confidence in Jesus? just want to say redemption. Too often we're held back from mission and from kingdom work because we're too worried. Imagine if we were freed of our worry. What kind of kingdom work would the Spirit call you to? So I'm going to pray. But I also just, over this week, I, uh, I'm not going to claim this absolutely was the Spirit, but I think it was in my time of study and prayer and praying for you guys. I think that maybe there are some folks here who are hardened, that your worry has led you to be hardened against God because you think God has actually failed you. I think for some of us, maybe there are things in the past where you said he was faithful here, here, but not here. He failed me here, and I'm angry at him. I would love for you to receive the invitation from Jesus to come and be fed again. Maybe you feel you're in the desert and that you are hardened and Jesus isn't going to send you out. He's going to invite you in to come and sit and listen. So if that is you, if you are hard, if you are weary, if you are angry, I would love to pray for you. Me and Scott can be up front afterwards. Anybody wants prayer? Or if you want to hit me up this week, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to talk with you about that. Let's pray. And we can have the band come up to lead us in our closing songs. Jesus, we thank you that your call to us to not worry doesn't come just as a command, doesn't come just to drive us to obedience and fear, but it actually comes from the one himself who would show us that you are faithful. 
Jesus, so we ask that you would do this work in our heart, that you would lead us through streams in the desert where our worries, our cares can be met with your goodness. God, I pray for those of us here who maybe are weary, weary by the endless worries in our life. Jesus, would you show us how to look, how to evaluate our allegiance, how to show us the things that we're trusting in besides you. Jesus, and that you would do what Paul says in Romans 12, that you would transform our minds. Jesus, only your spirit does this, your spirit who is alive and active in our church. So Jesus, would you do that, we pray. Jesus, and we want to do this, not just so that we can be transformed and not be warriors, but so that we can be the people of the mission, so that we can be people, as we are increasingly freed of our fears and our worries, that we can take risks, we can give money, we can lend freely, we can give away all that we have because we have a good king who's faithful. We can live in obedience where right now we might be too scared or too hardened to do that. So Jesus, we ask that your word would come in and again and again show us how beautiful and powerful you are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.